Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Humidity Matters, where we dive deep into the world of industrial humidity measurement. As a reminder, the purpose of this podcast is to help you, our listeners, make a better measurement. And better means more accurate and more reliable. Because when you do make a more accurate and reliable measurement, your process is more efficient and you get a higher quality output. I'm Bruce McDuffie, your host. I've been in the humidity measurement business for about 12 years. I've taught seminars and webinars around the globe, helping people just like you make better measurements. My co-host is Steve Santoro with an amazing 35 years of humidity measurement expertise. Hey, Steve, are you ready to uh, talk about measuring water vapor in high humidity applications? I sure am, Bruce. I've been looking forward to it. (laughs) Good. I know it's, it's an exciting topic. Um, What do you think about that just in general? Is that something you see a lot, Steve, Uh, high humidity applications? We've seen it more and more over the last uh, several years. Uh, Originally, it was a pretty tough application, and really there wasn't a solution for it. But uh, as we continue to develop our products, we try to... Uh, go to some of the more extreme conditions that are uh, challenging. So whether it's something that's very hot or very cold or very dry, or in this case, very wet, um, based on the market looking for solutions, we've tried to do research and investigate ways and have been able to solve this uh, challenging application with a bit of a unique product. Okay. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that unique product a little later, folks. And, but the second, the record straight here, Steve. Um, let's define high humidity application and maybe a couple of examples. Sure. So I would say just like uh, humidity is relative, we would also say you know high is a is a relative term, and we would classify high humidity as we get quite close to 100% relative humidity. So although, for example, a lot of instruments might say they measure zero to 100%, as we really focus on that elevated humidity levels of, say, greater than 90% or in many cases, say, 95% relative humidity and greater. That's what we refer to generally as a a high humidity application. Um, Some of the more common applications, originally, the the first solution was to address uh, outdoor high humidity applications in the meteorological world. Uh, Product was first developed for that, probably some greater than 25 years ago, and then we've realized that we had this solution that could measure these conditions. We've seen other applications uh, uh, rise up, uh, could be test chambers, uh, these PEM fuel cell membranes. Uh, this is another application where high humidity is critical. Other more common places like mushroom growing and dough proofing, where you're trying to keep the air very humid, but we're trying to avoid condensation from occurring. Got it. So is it is it fair to say generally if you've got an application that's 90% or more or higher relative humidity, you are probably going to want to consider a more specialized measurement? That's correct. The higher oh, humidity okay. is also a tougher application for all relative humidity sensors. So a lot of times if you read specifications, there may be a different accuracy spec once you get to the 90 to 100% relative humidity, or in many cases, a lot of instruments aren't 
specified over the zero to 100% range, they may only top off off at 90% because it, it does get trickier to measure in those higher humidity conditions. And why is that? Why is it so difficult to measure 95%, let's say? I mean, if you look at any of the companies that make relative humidity measurements, they usually say uh, range zero to 100%. So let's talk more about that, um, why it's difficult and how the measurement range ties into the specification, whether it's or the accuracy spec, let's say. Yeah, I think as you drill into the, the details of some of these specifications and these high humidities, a, a lot of times it has to do with just how close to a saturated condition you may be. So, for example, if, if we were measuring a, a ambient 75 degree Fahrenheit temperature condition and, and we're trying to measure 90 percent, well, the difference at that point, uh, as far as how close to saturation we are, it's a little over three degrees Fahrenheit. And at 95%, now we're talking about, you know, we're within about a degree and a half Fahrenheit of saturation. So if you can't also keep a tight control on temperature, then you're going to keep hitting conditions where you're condensing on the sensor, on your process. In a lot of cases, once the sensor condenses, it could take a long time to recover because the ambient air around it now is so saturated, uh, there's really no place for that water to evaporate. So in a lot of these cases, if you hit a condensing point, the sensor either won't recover because some of its technology can't withstand that, or if it if it can, it, it will still take a long time to get back to an active measurement because the air around it is already so moist, there's no place for that water to be absorbed. So we're running so close to a saturated condition, and, and as we know, for relative humidity, it's very much temperature dependent. And if you can't keep that uh, temperature control tightly, you're going to be uh, hitting that condensation point. Got it. So it doesn't, when you get up to that kind of, I guess you think about it, if you've got a really humid day and it stops raining and there's still rain on your car, it takes a long time for that to evaporate until the sun comes out. Yeah. And that the evolution of this product really came from that outdoor meteorological mm -hmm. measurement, something that, mm -hmm. you know, Weissler has been doing for decades. But if you think of, uh, we're recording this uh, early October, this time of year up in the Boston area, you're going to have these cool evenings uh, overnight. And when the sun comes up in the morning, dew starts to form on these surfaces that are cooler. And the dew, if it forms on the relative humidity sensor, it was basically tricking it into reading 100% RH. 100%. So the air may not mm -hmm. be 100%, mm -hmm. but because the water condensed on the sensor, that was a problem. And, and at, uh, at, at a professional meteorological station at an airport, that uh, false information could be a problem. So that was really where we first developed this heated, warmed probe to avoid that condition from actually ever occurring. Well, let's talk more about that, that Vaisala's unique solution for this type of application. And again, it's measuring with a heated probe. Let's talk, how does that work, Steve? Yeah, so there's a little bit uh, going on with this. If we think of the, the probe uh, that has uh, humidity and a temperature sensor on board at the tip of the device, uh, we actually have heating elements in the base of this probe, and they're going to transfer heat to warm the area inside the filter where the sensors are sitting. And by heating up the probe, we can increase the, the gap between the temperature and the dew point temperature, so we're, we're much further away from the condensation point. Now, once we've started to heat up this probe, 
we were affecting, as we know, relative humidity, because that mm -hmm. is very much a function of temperature. So the warmed probe uh, will measure dew point. And the algorithms we've developed uh, are automatic, but the more humid the air around the probe is, the, the more intense the heat it becomes. Uh, and the goal is that even if the air around the outside of the filter is 99% relative humidity, the environment inside the filter where the sensors are should be no greater than 80% relative humidity. So we're keeping that gap between the saturation condition. So the warm probe by itself will measure dew point. Now, for a lot of people, dew point may be okay. And that, as we know, is a way to express moisture in the air. But if you truly want a relative humidity measurement, then what we would do is have a second probe coming off of the same instrument. And that measures the temperature. And if we know the temperature of the air, and if we know the dew point of the air coming off the warm probe, we can calculate backwards and give relative humidity as the parameter output. So I'm trying to get my arms around this. So we're heating up the probe. So essentially we're getting a false relative humidity reading because we've heated the probe. And as everybody remembers, when you heat the environment, the relative humidity goes down. So we have a relative humidity we're measuring, and then we take a temperature reading outside of the probe, a separate place, and we convert to dew point, and then, no, we convert back, how's it go, back to dew point, and then back to relative humidity? Yeah, so if, we're, if our measured it? parameters yeah. now are dew point and temperature, but if we yep. want a uh, relative humidity, then that's just a calculation. Okay. Now, the calculation itself is actually pretty complex, uh, so if we have papers on this for people who want to do this on their own. If you know the dew point and you know the temperature, you can calculate relative humidity. A um, little complex, but we have a, uh, several versions of the equations that can be programmed in, or we make instruments that offer this additional temperature probe and knowing temperature and the dew point coming off the warm probe, we can output relative humidity directly. And for a lot of people, that's their solution to meet this uh, conditions so close to saturation. And we don't have to heat it up all that much. It's just a, a few degrees centigrade uh, to get us that gap we need between that saturated condition uh, from occurring. And if, in fact, in some cases, uh, if the temperature of this process were to drop, for example, and you do condense on everything, our sensor will get wet. It theoretically would read 100%, which is letting you know water is condensed because you've that's the true condition. You've condensed it into the space. And then we have a, a feature on the probe that's of a recovery. It'll actually heat the sensor up even warmer to basically evaporate that moisture off the sensor so it can get back online, giving wow. you an accurate measurement quickly. So there's a lot of, uh, we've learned over the 25 plus years of this warm probe to allow it to operate in those conditions and if necessary and extreme, recover from a saturated condition and get back online so you're not losing uh, any of the measurement time that you're trying to control the process. So it's fairly complex then. Um, some it, of our listeners might be thinking, well, what about pressure? Does even either, whether it's barometric pressure, um, does that affect these calculations? It does not. You know, okay. So the sensor is going to work independent of whatever pressure it's in. Okay. Unless we're trying to calculate a different variable, but for what we're talking here, pressure won't factor into this. Well, I know you've seen a lot of applications out there, Steve, in your 35 years. And if we think back in your experience to some of these high humidity applications, let's start, share some examples of a failure you've seen. 
could be in the spirit of Halloween coming up. If you want to make it a horror story, we can. I <laughs> would <laughs> uh, you know, uh, one where we, if we think about the one we talked about originally was the outdoor meteorological, which sort of helped develop this. Then we found that there are a lot of process conditions where people are trying to measure in these more humid conditions. So I'd say a, a trend that we've seen a lot over the past has been these environmental test chambers and a, and a common condition for testing parts and, and, and testing them to work in a variety of environmental conditions was commonly a point they would refer to as 85-85, which is 85 degrees C, 85% relative humidity. And for years, that was okay for a lot of products and, and it was easy to make those measurements. But uh, test standards have increased uh, as people are trying to use products in, in more extreme conditions. So we've seen these requests for what is now 90-90, so 90 degrees C, 90% IRH, and wow. in a lot of cases, 95-95. So now we're at 95 C and 95% relative humidity, a very, very tough condition. And we've been able to meet those requirements with this warm probe. And so these environmental test chambers is a place we see this a lot and allows products to be tested in these extreme conditions. So you need a better probe to be able to measure those conditions to know that the part you're testing can uh, be subjected to that environment. Uh, another common one in the last uh, several years, if we think about fuel cells, hydrogen fuel cells, this PEM is a proton elect uh, membrane type device. These PEM membranes, uh, they're trying to operate uh, as humid as possible. The more humid the air, the more efficient the process can run. Uh, and the closer they can get to 100% RH helps improve the process of the device. However, if the process is allowed to condense and you can't control, what happens is water droplets form. And when these water droplets form, it stops the flow of gas so the, the fuel cell won't work. And in some cases, the if the water builds up, it can actually create uh, failures in the membrane. Uh, the water mm. itself will create holes in it, and now it, it loses its ability to function the way it did. So the warm probe is allowing uh, processes to run, test, develop in these extreme conditions where uh, the more humid a process is, the more efficient it can be. And it could be something, again, as simple as proofing of dough. In, in a humid condition, it works properly, but if you condense, you create problems that you don't want. So the goal here is to run very close to that 100% RH, but not letting it occur and being able to measure uh, and push it to a limit. Those are all good examples. I, my next question was going to be share a success um, a success story application, but I think you just covered that and uh, covered them both. <laughs> Unless you have some another application you want to share. Uh, I could think of uh, uh, something that's uh, pretty new. It's called mycelium technology, and this is okay. where you're actually using sort of the, the mushroom and the root of it, and it's grown into mold. So think of it as a, a new type of packaging material. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can take this product uh, and grow it into the reverse mold of, of a device that you want to package, you can grow the mushroom root into these shapes. Uh, but in order to do this, you have to control very high near condensing conditions in addition to temperature and the CO2 to grow these devices. But they need to run in near con uh, condensing conditions. And the warm probe has allowed this to happen. And it's it's a, sort of a new evolutionary way to, to create packaging in something that is purely uh, biodegradable because at the end of the day, uh, this isn't 
issues that we've seen with styrofoams and other devices. It's uh, basically you grow the packaging in these chambers that are running at high humidity and certain CO2, and that becomes your packaging material. And again, this is uh, something that unless you could produce and accurately control at these really humid conditions, uh, producing these products would become either impossible or, or near impossible to do. So, Steve, you mentioned that the calculations and how this probe works. Um, I mean, how do people get that in kind of information if they want to do their own calculations? Sure. We have prepared a document on this. Uh, depending upon your computing capability, sometimes a PLC has limits. So we have a few different options and we can uh, show the equations, how to program them and uh, the results of these so there are going to be cases where people will only want or or they're okay with just a warm probe measuring dew point. They may already have temperature sensors in their process. So if we can give them the warm probe with dew point and they can measure or already have been measuring temperature uh, through uh, their PLC or some other data acquisition, you could take the dew point and the temp and we can give you the equations. Uh, so you could calculate that relative humidity on your own and we can put a link uh, to that document that we have, yeah. and then mm -hmm. we can advise people on on how to do that part as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll put so. that link in the show notes, folks. And um, and what about the humidity calculator, Steve? Is that something um, I suppose people could use that too if they don't need to know the formula? It is, and it's also double checking to you know maybe how close you are to those condensing conditions yeah. to yeah. verify you know maybe uh, you could start to understand where and how tricky it gets as you get. Uh, in these high humidities, just how close to the dew point reaching your process temperature and, and hitting that condensation yeah. point you are. And, and that yeah. can vary. I mean, we gave some examples that say 75F, but your process may vary. So you can use that with the humidity calculator to get a feel for if I need this type of, uh, of product uh, for these extreme conditions. And if and if I don't, then you, know, you can handle it with a more simpler relative humidity and temperature instrument that can uh, doesn't need the probe warming. Nice to know if you if you need it, it's available. Yeah, yeah, those are good tools, especially when you get to an example, like you said, 95-95. doesn't take much to throw the condensation in that application. Hey, I don't know, maybe just a degree, but we could use the calculator to find out exactly when that would condense. I wanted to go back a little bit, Steve. Um, we talked about a little bit about accuracy on these probes, and um, save for the sake of argument, what is the difference? Of course, it's not going to be the same accuracy as, say, 20 to 80 percent RH. What's the, how big of a difference is the accuracy at these high humidity conditions? Uh, well, so if we think about how this thing is, is really working, some of our best instruments you know, might be plus or minus 1 percent, and a lot of times we might say they're plus or minus 1 percent from 0 to 90 percent. And from 90 to 100 percent, now they're maybe plus or minus two because it is trickier to measure in those higher humidity conditions. However, if we are warming this probe, we're really keeping it around that 80 percent relative humidity level because we've we've elevated the temperature. We've dropped the RH so we can make a more accurate RH measurement there. Um, so uh, we have spec sheets that will cover this. Uh, we need okay. to drill down a little bit more, uh, but we've addressed this because of of these products we've been making now for quite some time. And we really want to, I think, understand more about the customer's process, what temperature's going on, what humidity range they're trying to shoot for, uh, 
and we can help advise uh, maybe the best product uh, and how it would be installed because it's not just about the warmed probe, which is a, a great benefit. But once we get into these uh, near condensing conditions, other factors need to be taken into account. How the probe is mounted in the process, the way it's oriented, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. there could be concerns with moisture condensing, and where will it condense? We we want the probe oriented in a certain direction so that any condensing water uh, wouldn't sit on the sensor, which would make it that much more difficult to measure. Even a cable in the process, sometimes the water can condense and run along the cable. So there are things called a, a drip loop. We put a little loop mm-hmm. in the wire so that the water will condense uh, on a cable, but not necessarily on the tip of the probe. So uh, as we get into this very extreme measurement condition, there are other factors that that should be taken into consideration. So having the right technology is good, but it it needs to be important that we install it, mount it, orient it in in all the right way, uh, insulate it so we don't have any external factors that are going to try to uh, affect this measurement and and make it even more difficult than than it already is. So it's a complex measurement. Good. Well, um, hearkening back to our earlier episodes, Steve, let's talk parameters. Um, And let's say we need to control the humidity, not just measure it in this um, high humidity application. Um, And we also want to make sure we do not get condensation. It could be the fuel cell application or another one. Is relative humidity the best parameter as far as your final output? Or is dew point better or maybe one of the absolutes like PPM? Relative humidity tends to be one that people, I think, just intuitively understand uh, that, that, you know, we know that 100% relative humidity is the is the condensing point, uh, whereas sometimes dew point, although it is, is a measure of moisture, it's in degrees, and sometimes people don't uh, relate to it as, as, as easily. So we feel that we can take the warm probe that measures dew point and by measuring temperature calculate back to relative humidity, and I think that's uh, at least intuitively for a lot of customers, one that they prefer it to look at. Uh, some are fine with dew point, and it really depends a little bit on their industry. But I think in general, this calculating back and giving the RH, because initially that's sometimes what they're looking for, is we've been trying to measure relative humidity and just trying to measure it in, in an environment that's closer to 100%. So giving them that unit of measurement back that they started with a lot of times makes it more understandable for them. But the beauty of, of the math and, and the equations and the calculator is, you know, if we have a moisture parameter and a temperature, you can get to one of those others if you're more comfortable with it yourself. And I guess if you're outputting dew point, you have to know the ambient temperature too, right? Because you're looking at how close those get because when they match, you get condensation. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Good. And, the, you know, there's even a parameter that is the difference of the two. So you could take and subtract one from the other and what you're really just monitoring is the the difference between the dew point temperature and the ambient temperature. It's another oh. equation that, that can be done, and some of our instruments can output if that's what you prefer. So we're, we're trying mean, to make everybody happy. <laughs> well, you mean if, if I have one of some of our instruments, then you can see actually on the display or maybe via the, the analogs, you could, that's a parameter that can be displayed. Correct. Oh, so now I'm just looking at go. The, the temperature difference between the dew point and the ambient, and that becomes maybe my control. Yeah, and I suppose you could set an alarm of some sort and say if the dew point gets within three degrees of the ambient, then there's an alarm that goes off and you have to take some action, something like Correct. that. Correct. Yep. Okay. 
Well, good. On that note, Steve, I think that's a wrap for high humidity applications. And those were some interesting applications you shared. And I think everybody is uh, sitting here going, wow. <laughs> I know I am, Bruce. <laughs> well, I am also. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Steve, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Bruce. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you found that interesting. I know I did. So join us next time on Humidity Matters. And next time we're going to talk, uh, continue our application discussions. And we're going to talk about the opposite of this episode. We're going to talk about ultra dry applications. And don't forget, folks, when it comes to product quality and process efficiency, humidity measurement does matter.